Our scripture lesson today is Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3. This is one of those amazing verses and chapters in the Bible that you could spend the rest of your life just reading and memorizing and working on day after day after day. Let's share in God's good word together. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Just as you have been forgiven, you also must forgive. That's the way it works. It's just the way it works. Because the moment that forgiveness stops, relationship stops. The moment forgiveness stops, community stops. And the world begins to break down. My name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding senior pastor here at Acts 2. And it is our great joy to have you with us. We are in a series on joy. um, How to find it, how to keep it, how to share it with others. And there are eight pillars or qualities uh, about joy. that Things that lead into joy. They're pathways to peace and to joy. And so if you're here for the first time uh, with us, welcome. This is week five of this series. And so we are just now uh, starting into matters of the heart. The first four weeks were matters of the mind. And so as a way of introduction, uh, did you know that God is in favor of a good time? He actually is, is happy. I mean, if you look through the Old Testament, there's party after party after party after party to celebrate this or give thanks for that. You had all these sorts of offerings and gatherings where people would come from all over the country to have meals like Thanksgiving together to celebrate all that God had done for them. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it like this. He says, we are created for joy. Will you say that with me? We are created for joy. We're born for joy. You're born for that. And if you've been at the birth of a child, you get this. It is a joyful thing. It's a painful thing. It can be a scary thing, but it's also one of the most joyous moments in life. So it is true that not only were we made for joy, but we worship a God of joy. Psalm 100 is probably my favorite psalm. Um, Psalm 23 is really good too, but Psalm 100 is awesome. I love this. Um, It says, says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord. What kind of noise? Joyful. Yeah. All the earth worship the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with what? Singing, right? Know that the Lord is God, it is he that has made us, we are his, we are his people, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with what? Praise. Yeah. Give thanks to him, the scripture says. Right? This is the songbook of the church. Bless his name, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations, like we just sang about. To all generations. And this joy is important. It is the very essence of life. Joy is linked to goodness. And wonder to God's holy presence and to extravagant love. It's much, much more than happiness. Bishop Desmond Tutu says it like this. Joy is much bigger than happiness. While happiness is often seen as being dependent on external circumstances, joy is not. Every person can have joy and you can have it in any situation because it comes from God and our joy goes back to God. So over the last four weeks, we have looked at these four qualities of the mind. Perspective, humility, humor, and acceptance. Will you say those four with me? Perspective, humility, humor, and acceptance. 
And if you're interested, you can go back um, online, if you're online now, um, or here you can go back. All our sermons are online, and you can just go and see them at any time. And so, week one, joy is a matter of perspective. When we move from I and me to what? To us and we, right? About community. That's where we find joy. Week two, we talked about humility. And Jesus taught us that we are not the center of the universe. Who is? God is, right? And if it's all about you, just get ready for the pain. Right, Because we're not made for that. Only God is made to be the center of the world. And week three is about humor. It allows us to see the ridiculous in us all. People are pretty funny. And to see our common humanity. We all make mistakes. Uh, we all do funny things. And that's what makes family so fun. You, know, you have these family stories, family jokes, uh, things that people say. You're like, yep, that was a good time. That was funny. And moms and dads can be funny. Grandmas and grandpas can be funny. Cousins, aunts, uncles. It's, life is funny, if you think about it. And then last week, we talked about acceptance. And certainly, that is super important. And we have to understand it's not resignation. It's certainly not defeat. It is the only place that change can begin. You, you can't do anything until you accept the reality of where you are. So until you accept that a season has ended, you can't start a new one. Will you say that with me? Until you accept that a season has ended, you can't start a new one. You can't start a new one. And it, you don't have to think very hard or very long to see some of the saddest things in the world are people whose season has well passed and yet they're still trying to live there. And you can see that over and over again, whether it's professionally or athletically or in a relationship. It's time to move on, but they're still acting as if it was 1970 or 1980 or whatever it may be. And it's just sort of odd. You're like, oh, that's weird and sad. So my admonition is don't let that be you, right? We have to accept where we are so that we can start a new season where God is calling us to go. Douglas Abrams, in his book of joy, he says this, when we accept the present, we can forgive and release the desire for a different past. But we have to accept the present. And that leads to what we're going to talk about today, which is forgiveness. Those two go together, acceptance and forgiveness. This happened, this hurt, that's the reality of it. And now, because I see it clearly, not as I want it to be, but as it is, I can forgive that and move on, be released from it. In the Hebrew, forgiveness is to untie. That's really the metaphor. Something's tied up, locked up together. It's simply to untie. It's not an emotional response. It's not a good or bad value. It's simply whether you're tied to something and caught in it and trapped in it, or you're untied from it and you're free. That's what forgiveness does. It's a gift to the person who does the forgiving, and often to the person being forgiven as well. So today, we begin looking at the qualities of the heart that lead to joy, the first of which will be forgiveness. So the first quality of the heart that leads to joy is what? Say with me, forgiveness. Super important, super hard. And, and really, most of the things that we talk about forgiveness, like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to forgive them for this or that, it's really petty. I mean, it's really small stuff. And this, to me, is hard to talk about because when, when you really get to the bottom of forgiveness... There are people who have forgiven so much, so much. And, and I think part of that is because they have a closeness to Christ and they understand how much they have been forgiven. And so therefore, they're able to forgive others 
in large measure. Some of the most people, joyful people I've ever met are people who've been forgiven much because they understand they've been given a second chance. So we come across these stories all over the world, all across time. But one of the ones um, that they talked about and that I, I studied this week, uh, it really stopped me. And so I, I was interested. And there's a, a young man, he's no longer a young man, but back in 1972 on May 4th, this little 10-year-old boy was on his way home from school. Now, he, his life was changed forever. He simply ran past an army lookout post that was at the edge of a school's playground. And a British soldier fired a rubber bullet from only 10 feet away. And it blinded him for life. He could see perfectly before that. Just a, a normal little 10-year-old boy caught in the crossfire of that time and that place. His name is Richard Moore. You can read about him. And he didn't, oddly, he did not harbor any bitterness. This is actually the bullet here, May 5th, 1972. For 38 years, he wanted to meet the man who shot the bullet, who was to his right. So in 2006, he'd always wanted to meet him. Richard, the little boy, actually meets Charles for the first time. Not only did he forgive him, the two became close friends. Caught up in that tragedy. Both wounded in different ways. And amazingly, from childhood to the present day, he has never allowed his blindness to hinder his development. He actually went on to start an incredible an incredible nonprofit. So in 1996, Richard felt the need to harness all of these things that he had learned at the service of humanity, particularly children like himself who had been caught in the crossfire. So he started a, a nonprofit called Children in Crossfire, and it was born at that time. So he does work all around the world because, as you know, when adults don't forgive, when adults war, it's the children that get the worst of it. And so this this work that he does now has its roots in the tragedy that happened to him when he was only 10 years old. So then in 2007, uh, this is how I found it in the book, uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama came and visited the two men. He, really, he was really moved by this forgiveness and this compassion and the energy and the joy that was released. And the Dalai Lama said, whether you believe it or not, talking to Richard, you are my hero. You are my hero and a wonderful son of humanity. Despite your tremendous pain, he said to him, you don't have any anger. You're at peace. You accept what has happened. You have peace of mind. You are a good example. You're a good model. There's power in forgiveness. And we, we often get caught up about forgive and forget. You've heard that. You know, if you don't forgive, or you can't forget. Or if you don't forget, maybe you haven't forgiven. Well, Here's, here's all I know about this. This was anonymous, and it's helping me this week. It says, if you can't forgive and forget, just pick one. Right? Just, just pick one of them. Because if you forgive, you're going to be okay. And if you forget, you're probably going to be okay. Right? Just, just pick one. Because the reality is that pain and suffering come to all of us, don't they? Nobody escapes pain and suffering. It comes in different forms, different times, different seasons. But how we respond, how you respond, is your choice. You get to choose. Another way of saying it is that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, but pain comes to us all. And so the path of joy is connection. 
to, to see that pain, to understand it, and to be connected with others through it. And the path of sorrow is what? Isolation. It's also dangerous as we continue to see one mass shooting after another where people become isolated, they become alone, they get a manifesto, they see something online, and then more pain is propagated. Isolation is dangerous, friends, and sorrowful. Connection is our pathway to peace and to joy. Our problem, really, in our country, in our town, all over the world, is loneliness. That's our problem. And forgiveness is the antidote to loneliness. Because if you can't forgive, you can't have any friends. Right? I mean, if you can't forgive, then you, you can't be in relationship, which makes you alone. And that's where loneliness comes from. It's a byproduct of unforgiveness. So we have to get this right. We have to learn how to do this. Bishop Tutu says it like this. He says, perhaps our synagogues, our temples, and our churches are not as welcoming as they should be. I really think that we do need for these fellowships to do a great deal more to have those who are lonely come and share. Not in order to increase their records or ranks, but really just keenly interested in one person who comes and gets what they did not have before. Warmth and fellowship to break down the loneliness. Break down the loneliness. That's, that's part of why we're here, friends. To help non-religious and non-active folks connect with Jesus, connect with us, become radical Christ followers to follow him. People used to ask me, well, Mark, how, how big is Acts 2 going to get? How big should it be? And I'm like, that is a weird question to me. The church has work to do until every lonely person finds a friend in us, in Christ. There's still more than 30,000 people within five minutes of this place that have no connection to anybody by self-report. Not connected to any religious community whatsoever or church. And if you poll people, you'll see how lonely they are. It is a problem, friends. Nearly half of Americans report having fewer than three close friends. How many close friends do you have? Just think about it. Now, what's, what's really difficult about this statistic is that this is twice as many as 1990. It, I mean, it's, it's basically double, 49% to be exact. And one in 10 people say they have no close friends at all. And that's a problem. And that's dangerous. And it means that they can't get the help that they need. Because when they fall, there's no one to pick them up. When they get in financial trouble, there's no one to help them out. When they go to jail, there's no place to bail them out. When they miss a payment, they lose their home. Because they don't have a friend at all. This loneliness is a real problem. So since 1992, the number of Americans who say they have no one to talk to about important matters quadrupled. Just the breakdown of community. Um, years ago, there was a, a book called Bowling Alone by Putnam. And I'd recommend it to you. There's, and there's been a lot of research done since then. But this idea of connecting with others, having someone to talk to, it's super important. It's, why, it's how we were made. It's not good for humanity to be alone, the scripture says. And in a study between Duke and the University of Arizona, one in four people say they have no one with whom to discuss important matters. 25% of the folks, one in four. And so it basically comes down to this. When you focus too much on yourself, you become disconnected and alienated from others. Because if it's all about you, then you get offended, then you don't forgive, and then you're alone. That's how it works. However, you have a choice about this. 
The Dalai Lama would say it like this. You actually have the choice to connect with everyone. Every time you meet someone, you can see your common humanity in them. Around here, what we say as a staff, and I hope that you'll do the same, is every person that walks on this property, we are to see and relate to as if they are Christ himself. So that when somebody comes on our property, we welcome them. We are honored that they are here because we understand that God has brought them here. They've been wooed here by the Holy Spirit. That you today have been brought here, not by me. I didn't call you and say, hey, come here. You came on your own, some way, somehow. We don't know how, but we understand that God himself is in each and every one of you and you online. And we welcome that and we honor that and we bless that. And we trust God to do something good with that as he continues to build community right here on this corner of Penn and Covell. So the Dalai Lama would say it like this. If you are always thinking about the 7 billion human beings, you'll never experience loneliness, right? I mean, there's 7 billion of us. You can't be alone. You're surrounded by people, more people than have ever lived on the planet before. You're not alone. You're surrounded by love. And so, of course, God's solution is forgiveness and community. And Jesus models this perfectly for us. He models forgiveness upon the cross at every turn, and he's always in community. Now, if I'm God, and I'm thinking, how am I going to save the world? Twelve country bumpkins is not my idea of a good plan. Which is what Jesus did. He called 12 disciples. And I have a mentor of mine. He says, that, you know, they're called disciples for a reason. Right? <laughs> they're not that sharp all the time. Bishop Tutu would say like this. Forgiveness is the only way to heal ourselves and to be free from the past. That's where that new day starts with acceptance and forgiveness. So when Jesus came to save the world, he did it in community with these 12 disciples. Maybe you learned this as a little kid. It's found in Luke 6. It says, Now during those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose the 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter. We know that one. And his brother Andrew, the first one to see the Lord and to woo Peter. And James and John. We, we know their names, perhaps. And Philip. And now we get to some other folks we don't know as much about. Bartholomew. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and another Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. We know that one, too, who became a traitor. This is how God chooses to love, to save the world, through these 12 people and their families. They live and move and have their being together for about three years in ministry. And before that, Jesus is simply running the family business in a very small town, in Galilee, called Nazareth. It's a tiny little place. You can still go there today. It's not big. It'd be sort of like uh, a little town in western Oklahoma. Pretty, you know, much like a desert. Just a few things growing out there. Agricultural in nature. Not a lot going on. It's how Jesus grew up. And so as we look at this, as we look at Jesus' life and we look at our need for forgiveness, there are three things that we have to get right just off the front. And that, that's this. That we all sin and need forgiveness. Say that with me. We all sin and need forgiveness. Every one of us. Nobody escapes that. That's one. Number two is this. God is willing to forgive us. Absolutely. Each and every one of us. Will you say that with me? God is willing to forgive us. That's great news. But the problem is, of course, that it's hard to experience that if you're not in community. Because it's just a voice in your head. Am I forgiven? I don't know. I think so. Is that just me or is that God? But the reality is that community stops, right, 
Um, and so we are to forgive others. That's the third one, right? Say that with me. We are to forgive others. And that's so important because community stops when forgiveness stops. It's just, that's, that's how it works. So we have to understand the importance of forgiveness for everything we do together in our lives. Again, Bishop Tutu would say it like this. Without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. Remember that untie thing we talked about? We remain tethered. We are bound to the chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped, until we can forgive the person who harmed us. That person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. When we forgive, we take back control of our own fate and our feelings. We become our own liberator. Both when we forgive others and, as you know very well, when you forgive yourself. Because that can be super difficult, too. But then you're free. You're free. You know how you feel after a really big cry? Like some guys my age are like, I don't remember that. It's been a long time. But there's, there's this, this cleansing, this, this goodness, this, that, that deep breath. Where it's just, okay, that's done. And I can start over. Now, Bishop Tutu uh, also wrote a book uh, a while back called The Book of Forgiving. And in that book, he talks about, um, in South Africa, they have this word called Ubuntu. And it means, I am because you are. My humanity is connected to your humanity. It's all wrapped up together. And you, they, they can't be apart from one another. And so in this book, he, he has a graph about what he calls the revenge and forgiveness cycle. And it looks like this. Friends, we, we know this. Hurt and harm and loss come to us all, don't they? Everybody experiences that. And then you have a choice to make. Because this causes pain. And you can either choose to harm or you can choose to heal. It's your choice every time. So, hurt, harm, loss, pain. If you choose harm, you reject the shared humanity. Then you go and you think through and you do either revenge, retaliation, or payback. Which leads, of course, to more violence and more cruelty. Which leads you back to hurt, harm, and loss. And you pain, and then you can choose harm, and it never ends. Never ends. Never ends. Or, you're hurt, you experience pain, and you choose to heal. Now, it's not just, oh, I choose to heal. No, it's you tell the story. This is what happened. This is what happened to me. This is what I experienced. This is what I saw. You tell the story. You name the hurt. And this is how that wounded me. This is how this wounded my family system. And then, you, because you've told the story, because you've accepted, because you've named the hurt, you're being sober about it, then, and really only then, can you grant forgiveness. Because you recognize the shared humanity. Because you do realize that pretty much everybody that's ever been terrible to you had somebody who was terrible to them. That's how they learned it. They didn't think it up on their own. So every pain that you've experienced is simply passed on pain that somebody else had poured into them that then is poured into you. And so you can step back and you can grant forgiveness because you can recognize how the cycle works. And because you forgive, you begin to break that cycle and you renew or you release the relationship and you find a new path, a new day. This is the choice. You can either choose harm or you can choose to what? Heal. This is the pathway to hell. This is the pathway to heaven. Just make no mistake about it. If you ever talk to anybody who's living over here, they'll tell you it's hell on earth. Because every day is a beating. Every day is hard. Every day you get hurt worse. And you expect worse. And it just goes and goes and goes. But you do have a choice. You can either choose harm or you can choose to heal. It's your choice.
And it's really important, friends. And it's really hard sometimes. So we ask God, we ask Jesus, our Redeemer, to come in and help us choose the right. Help us choose to heal. And in his power, become people of grace. Be people of healing rather than harming. Now, I don't know who said this, but I think it's right. They said this is so important because it means not becoming the very thing that you can't forgive. Because if you think about what's hurt you and that you haven't forgiven, you become like that thing. And you pass it on. But you don't have to. So this idea of community, where we find new paths and new ways forward, it requires this ongoing practice of forgiveness. It's not just a one-time deal. That's why Jesus says, right, 70 times 7, not just once, not just twice, as long as it takes, friends. Because we have to be people of forgiveness to remain in community. Again, Bishop Tutu would say this. He says, you have the potential to be instruments of incredible compassion and forgiveness. We cannot save anyone at all that they're totally unable to forgive. We all can. To be sorry for these others who are disfiguring their humanity. I think that's a great way of saying it. When somebody's being terrible, you know that they are not who they're created to be. You know that they are disfiguring their humanity in this way. And indeed, no one is incapable of forgiving. And no one is unforgivable. And, of course, Jesus models this with Judas. If there's anyone who was unforgivable, it would have been Judas. But that wasn't Jesus' way. Jesus represents the God of forgiveness and grace and second chances. So knowing yourself to be loved by God provides you the goodness and power to share forgiving love with others. And this is shown throughout the world. But we cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. Will you say that with me? We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. It doesn't work. It simply will not work. So Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, that's pretty inclusive, by the way, right? Anything against who? Anyone? So that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. This is how it works, Jesus says. And this isn't, even, this isn't true just for us. Even across all of God's animal kingdom, forgiveness and peacemaking are extremely common. This really surprised me. Um, you may not know this guy. His name's Franz de Waal, and he believes that peacemaking activities are extremely common in the animal kingdom. He, he studied this his whole life. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe if you were at the zoo, uh, or you've seen photos of this. Chimps, they kiss and make up. They can actually forgive and do peacemaking, and other species do this as well. Uh, maybe, maybe you didn't know this. Sheep do this. Oh, Aren't they cute? I mean, these, these two guys were in a fight an hour ago. Mom says make up. They did. Right? Uh, or, or goats. Have you ever seen a sad goat? No. They forgive. They make up. They move on, apparently. I didn't know this. Or dolphins. Oh. I have my permission, Chantel. Like, I don't know what your rift was, but it's clearly you've made up. Right? Right? And then there's some that really surprised me. Even Hyenas. Right? Ooh, that be scary. But somehow they run in a pack. This is amazing, isn't it? There's only one species of animal in all that they've studied that does not forgive and make peace. Do you know what that is? Isn't he cute? The domestic cat. And if you've owned one, you know this to be true. Right? Because he, that's not what he's thinking. He's sticking his tongue out at you. He's like, I don't like you. I'm a grumpy cat. 
right? I mean, that's how he really feels. And if you're not careful, you know, he's going he's gonna to get you when you're least looking. So, I don't know what that says, but those of you who know me well, this won't surprise you. Okay, so, I love the way Archbishop Tutu says it. He says, friends, those who say forgiving is a sign of weakness haven't tried it. It's hard. It takes strength. Those who say forgiving is a sign of weakness, they have not tried it. Bishop Tutu, through apartheid, certainly knows this to be true, what he's had to forgive to move his country forward. And, of course, often people have the hardest time forgiving those closest to us because they wound us the deepest. They know us the best. They know how to do it. They've lived with us our whole lives. And so we, it, it's very difficult. But forgiveness was so important to Jesus that he gave his very life for it. He gave his lifeblood to do it. The scripture that we recount every week here is this. It says, Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, the disciples, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. It took his very blood. So that you might have the power of forgiveness. Friends, don't waste it. Don't let it pass you by. God gave his very life that you would have the power to do it because it is life itself. And so as, as our close today, we always have an action step here. I, and and I, hopefully this will help you. Now, I want you to list all the people who have good reason to be upset with you. But they're not. They're not. They're not upset with you. I mean, th- think of the way. Can you, can you imagine back the way you disrespected your grandmother or your grandfather or an aunt or an uncle or a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a cousin or people you've just written off or somebody that you dismissed at work publicly? But somehow they forgave you. Somehow you're still in relationship. Somehow they love you. I mean, the, the one that, and this isn't a person, but for me, I don't know why my 14-year-old Snoodle still likes me. I don't like him much of the time. But he forgives me over and over and over again, even if I forget to take him outside when I'm supposed to, or even if I haven't fed him as fast as I'm supposed to. He still loves me. And you have people in your life like that. It doesn't seem to matter how terrible you've been. They just love you because they do. And if you've been afforded that, and by the way, if you're a friend with someone, that's probably them, right? Because we always have to be forgiven of something. So, so I encourage you to think through that because it's very helpful because it kind of lifts you go, oh, wow, I really am the recipient of that gift by so many people. And, and then be honest with yourself about all the subtle ways that we make people suffer when we've not forgiven them. We say we've forgiven them, but we avoid them. We say we've forgiven them, but we gossip about them. We say we've forgiven them, but we hold on to these negative thoughts about them. Right? So who comes to mind? Who comes to mind? You know, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, I bet I know who that is. It's that person I don't like. Right? That I haven't forgiven. So you forgive them. So here's the thing. What do you do? Say with me. Forgive them. Untie yourself from that pain from that sorrow, from that hurt, from that darkness in the world. And so I'm going to invite you here to say a prayer with me. It's it's an important prayer, and it'll change your life if you do it. But in the prayer, there's going to be a place for a name of someone 
that you need to forgive or that you've not yet forgiven. So I want to give you a heads up that that's coming. So I want you to get that in your mind. And then if you will, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I come before you today with a humble heart to confess the mistakes I've made, both by what I've done and by what I haven't done. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer and forgive my failings. Lead me to do better. Help me to live a life that better reflects you. Now, by the power of your forgiveness, I choose to forgive everyone who has hurt me. Help me love, forgive, and have compassion, especially for... Just hold that there. Let the Lord bring that to mind. And hand that person to him. For their good. For your good. Now, if you'll continue with me. Help me bless those who have hurt me. Make me kind and compassionate, forgiving others, just as you forgave me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, with the confidence of children of God, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.